Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. Hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name is Dan. Thank you for finding us, for following, for listening. This is the smartest show in the history of the universe. Now, this week, we'll learn more about mission transmission, the way your voice can be sent to space as part of a radio show that will travel forever through the universe. We've got our fingers crossed that it might be picked up by some aliens listening to headphones one day. And in a bit, you can hear from the astronomer Greg Brown about who might find it in the end. We haven't found life anywhere else in the rest of the universe to date, so we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. It could be very, very similar to us. It could be completely and utterly different. If you look at our own planet... The, the types of life we have just on our own planet are incredibly varied, incredibly uh, diverse. So who knows, the universe is even more diverse than just what we find on our own planet. So maybe life out there is as well. Also, we'll catch up with Karina and her superhero alter ego, K-Mystery. This week, Karina is learning how she can make a difference using science with climate change. Now, whenever you're not using the TV computer or video game console switch them off don't just leave them on standby and we'll have your questions as always this week they're on steam and laying eggs it's all coming up on this week's fun kids science weekly kicking things off this week with your science in the news Climate change isn't only affecting our future, but also our past. It's threatening to destroy treasures buried in the ground. The soils that protect them are dying out. Experts are worried that over 20,000 archaeological sites in the UK, where we know there are old treasures that we haven't found yet, may be at risk of being destroyed if we don't do something. Also, 30 days after launch, the James Webb Telescope is finally in place. It's one million miles from the Earth. From there, it will use its massive mirrors to look at the oldest stars in the universe. All that's left before that happens is for the experts on Earth to turn things on, including that big mirror that will reflect light to the telescope. And finally, scientists have found wild hippos who can recognise each other's voice. Experts studying them in Africa have found that their distinctive honks help them tell if another hippo is friend or an enemy. And they found that they have a wide vocal range, including grunts, bellows, squeezes and wheeze honks, which can tell them apart. It's time to catch up with Sir Sidney McSprocket now. He is a genius inventor who tells us about other genius inventors who have changed the world and really helped us out. Now, through this series, he's been talking all about the Great Exhibition, an event held in 1851, which showcased some incredible inventions from the time, many of which we still use today. And in this last episode of the series, Sir Sidney is encouraging you to make your own great exhibition. What things might you include, you reckon? 
Sir Sidney McSprocket's Great British Minds. Oh, hello, Sir Sidney McSprocket here. As you know, we've been investigating some of Britain's greatest minds who've helped shape our world. Not just today, but in Victorian times too, when a tremendous event was held in London to showcase the world's greatest innovation. The Great Exhibition of 1851 was attended by millions of people, including royalty and all the big names of the day, including Charles Dickens, the famous novelist. Although, apparently, he found it all a little bit much. When you think of all the weird and wonderful contraptions, I can't say I'm surprised. Glasses for short-sighted horses, anyone? (laughs) Of course, Charles Dickens was a great British mind, too. As we've seen, there are many different kinds of great minds. Creators, designers and inventors. And then those like Charles Dickens who write wonderful stories. And let's not forget, artists and scientists, explorers, historians, archaeologists and those who teach others. I wonder what sort of great mind you might be. I'd say the person who invented the first cup of tea was one of the finest minds of all. But that's just because I'm partial to a cup of tea. (laughs) Oh, that's hit the spot. (laughs) So, now we've met some great British minds and explored a bit of the 1851 Great Exhibition, why not think about making your own Great Exhibition? Don't know where to start? Well, think about what we've learnt. An important factor is location. By placing a glittering palace in the centre of the capital city, no one could miss Prince Albert's exhibition. Now, you might not have a glittering palace, but you could use a nice big room in your house and create a window display, perhaps. Or what about a virtual exhibition online? Another important ingredient for a truly great exhibition is the crowds. Millions of people visited the 1851 Great Exhibition. Whilst you might not be able to accommodate quite so many, you could share with friends and family, you could invite them in to look around, or you could video call a classmate or family member and present your exhibition to them. Of course, a big question is what to put in the exhibition. The original was all about progress, developing technologies and using engineering to tackle problems of the day. You could have a look around and find objects in your home that solve problems. Perhaps you could even think of a way to customise them so they are even more useful. Use whatever comes to mind. String, tape. Even sausages! Protecting the planet is of the utmost importance these days, so perhaps you could try to grow a plant in an unusual way that saves resources, or come up with an idea to help houses protect themselves for flooding. You could really go to town with drawings and diagrams and make a model, perhaps. Of course, there are great inventions in every corner of the globe. And unless you're very rich, it might be hard to go and see them for yourself. 
that you can research and write about them, even make models of them too, perhaps in an interesting way with 3D online illustrations or, or even the humble Play-Doh. Let your imagination run wild to create a truly great exhibition all of your own. Prince Albert's great exhibition had a huge and lasting impact, and creators, designers, and inventors continue to work hard today for a better tomorrow. Why not join in? Maybe you'll be the greatest mind of them all! Oh, no, again! That'll be my own work in progress. I better get the mop. Best of luck, everyone, and tatty bye for new Sir Sidney McSprockett's Great British Minds. With support from the Royal Commission 1851. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash McSprocket. Thank you so much to Sir Sidney for teaching us all about the Great Exhibition. That is the last of this series of Sir Sidney McSprocket. We've got loads more and you can catch up with any that you've missed over at funkidslive.com. Right now, it's question time on the show. You send your little science problems as a review to me on Apple Podcasts for the Fun Kids Science Weekly, and I do my best digging for you. Let's figure it out. First question today is from Ronnie, who is 11, who wants to know, why do some animals lay eggs and others give birth? Now, most mammals give birth to live young. There are a few rare ones called monotremes, like the duck-billed platypus and the spiny anteater, and they lay eggs, uh, but most mammals uh, have their children live. Now, creatures that lay eggs do it because it gives the mum a greater chance of having some babies survive. A mother mammal can only carry a couple of babies actually in her. So for animals like birds who lay eggs, they can have many babies and they need to have them because there are loads more threats to whether they'll survive or not with harsh weather and dangerous predators always around. Also, with eggs, it's easier for a parent to look after them because they can guard them in a nest. They can make them warm there. And think about it, loads of those creatures are too small to carry baby animals inside them. So it's easier for them to lay eggs. They've evolved that way. Ronnie, thank you for the question. Lastly, it's from Lucy this week who asks, what is steam and why does it come out of hot food? This is all to do with evaporation, Lucy, which is what happens when water gets too hot. When it boils, it changes state from a liquid and it becomes a gas. Now, that gas we call steam. Now, when food gets hot, two things happen. The water in the food, because there's a lot of water that make up what we eat, it gets so hot that it turns to steam, it evaporates and it escapes. That's why you see steam rising from the top. Also, there's a lot of air around the food that you'll be eating. And when that gets hot, it turns water particles that are in the air into steam too. Thank you for the questions, you two, this week, if there's something you want answered on the show. Next time out, you need to leave it as a review for me over on Apple Podcasts. Hello, everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. 
It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! We're here at the Royal Observatory Greenwich uh, with Greg Brown, who is an actual astronomer here. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. We're here to talk about our big project. We are sending a love letter to space and we want to see how far it can go. Now, in your opinion, as a man of science, how far can it go? Well, there's nothing, strictly speaking, stopping it. So that message will continue out into space effectively forever. Uh, It's going to get weaker and weaker and weaker as as it goes further and further out, but there's nothing stopping it from going on literally forever. Do we have any idea of how far it might go in certain times, how quickly it could reach the moon, for example, if you were on the International Space Station, at what time they might hear it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, light... Uh, to us seems extremely fast and it is but it does have a a specific speed Um, and uh, that means that uh, it takes time to travel to various different places out in the rest of the universe so to get to the moon it's about one and a half seconds it's very very quick Uh, in order to get to uh, the next nearest star however it's about four years so that gives you an idea of the, the incredible distances that we're talking about. In order for it to leave this galaxy completely, anywhere between ten and 100,000 years, an incredibly long time. What's the likelihood that there might be beings that could listen to it within that space between us and the nearest star or the near, you know, getting outside of our galaxy? So between us and the nearest star, there really isn't very much there. Uh, There aren't any planets. You'd have to go to that star in order to find a planet. And that's where we expect to find life. If we're going to find it anywhere, it's going to be on the surface of a planet or perhaps a moon around one of those planets. So for four years, there'll be basically nothing. There'll be nothing to receive this message. But once it reaches one of these other stars, and in fact the nearest star, Proxima Centauri, we do believe has a planet around it. We don't think it's likely to be one that has life, but it it could, it is possible. Um, And then as you go further and further and further out, you reach more and more stars, more and more planets, and the probability of you finding life on them goes up as you find more and more of them. We always hear this phrase, life as we know it. It's always in movies and on the telly. On this planet that's near Proxima Centauri and you're thinking, well, maybe there might be life there. Or if we went a little bit further afield and went on another planet, what could the life be like? How alien is it? Or might it be from our own life? Well, the simple answer to that is we don't know. We haven't found life anywhere else in the rest of the universe to date. So we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. It could be very, very similar to us. It could be completely and utterly different. If you look at our own planet, the the types of life we have just on our own planet are incredibly varied, incredibly uh, diverse. So who knows, the universe is even more diverse than just what we find on our own planet. So maybe life out there is as well. When we talk about the planets around 
Proxima Centauri, the ones that we know of, uh, there are there's one which is considerably smaller than our own planet, so its gravity is going to be considerably weaker. There's one which uh, is much, much bigger than our own planet, so its gravity is going to be very, very strong and might not even have a solid surface for you to be able to walk on. So the life that would exist on planets like that would be very, very different. Now, we often use this phrase, uh, life like us. Um, and there's a very good reason why we're constantly looking for life that's probably a little bit like us. And that simple reason is we know what to look for. When we're talking about life like ourselves, we know that it needs uh, a place that isn't too hot and not too cold. We need liquid water. We need oxygen in our atmosphere. We need a solid surface to be able to walk upon that sort of thing. When we start thinking about types of life that is completely and utterly beyond us, that we have no idea about, anything potentially becomes a place where life could be. And that's why we tend not to look for life that isn't like us, because we just have no idea what to look for. What amazes me is the idea that this could take four years. It could take us four years to get up there. Then if they hear it, it could take another four years for them to get back to us. Or they might have technology that's so beyond our ideas that it could be here before we've even sent it. Is, is there a likelihood that that might happen? Before we sent it is pretty unlikely. That would require time travel. But uh, certainly uh, it's not completely impossible that there are ways of traveling faster than the speed of light. As far as we know, it's impossible. But we don't claim to know everything. So yeah, it's possible. Now, we're sending this message up as far as it will go. It's going to go on and on and on and on forever. If you could send a message to any forms of being in space, any types of aliens, uh, what, what would you say to them? And you're like a proper expert in this thing. So you should have like some wise words. Uh, oh, I'm not certain about wise. Uh, for me, what would be really interesting is uh, to find out whether the, the life that's out there knows if there's even more. So one thing that we seem to find when we look out into the rest of space is that it appears to be quite empty. The fact that we haven't found life, intelligent life, yet indicates it's probably quite rare. So one thing that would be really interesting to know, and I'm a, a huge fan of uh, sci-fis like Star Trek, uh, is... Do they know of other civilizations out there? Are there lots of them all interconnected? Are they all uh, one huge community? Can we join? That would be nice. Um, that sort of thing would be really interesting to know. It, it's amazing with science that quite often things happen very quickly. If you look at the first time we flew a plane into the air, we were up in space about 50 years later. So it may very well be the case that when we find one alien, suddenly we find all the aliens. How excited would that make you? Uh, that, that would be absolutely incredible. Uh, frankly, to find any form of life out there, even if it's not intelligent, even if it's not anything even remotely similar to us, would be absolutely amazing. And there are a few places in our own solar system where we might find very, very simple life, life similar to sort of single-celled organisms or bacteria, that would already be incredible. That would be absolutely amazing. So to find intelligent life, a civilization, maybe even multiple civilizations would be absolutely mind-blowing. 
When did we first try to contact another planet? How much do you know about that? There have been all sorts of attempts over time for uh, people to try to uh, either directly contact or possibly listen in on other uh, civilizations. Uh, the most famous examples are the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, or SETI, in the United States of America. It's a huge program over there, um, which made use of things like the Arecibo Array, the literally the largest telescope that we have in the world, uh, which uh, unfortunately we don't have anymore. It, it broke last year. But uh, nonetheless, it, it has been listening to the universe, trying to find those signals and some signals we've we've sent out as well, just on the off chance that maybe we'll be able to hear something back. Tell us more about this, this, this telescope that you said that broke. Is there someone there that is, their job is to sit there and listen to messages from outer space? Have we got someone on that? It's a little bit different to that. So uh, it, there are people constantly monitoring that telescope. It's it's designed to be able to be pointed at very specific places. It's not just used for the search for, for extraterrestrial intelligence. It's used for all sorts of things. You can use uh, radio telescopes. It's a, it's a type of radio telescope to study stars and distant galaxies and all sorts of other things, for things that have nothing to do with life. And that's what it's mostly used for. But... On occasions, uh, astronomers will uh, effectively uh, book out the telescope for a specific project. And that project could be, I want to look at a relatively nearby star system and just see if I receive any message from it during this time. And that's the sort of thing that sometimes astronomers will do. Is there anything more open than that? Have we got people who are always listening for messages from outer space? Yeah, so they're always enthusiastic amateurs and uh, um, and professionals working in, sometimes in their spare time to listen with radio telescopes and all sorts of things just on the off chance that they manage to hear something. No real signs just yet, but who knows, maybe one day. And on a scale of 1 to 100, what's the likelihood that an intelligent life form will hear our message? And is it likely at all that we will ever receive such a message? The problem that we have is that there are so many unknowns. We don't know how common simple life is. We don't know how common it is for that life to become more complicated, to evolve into something more intelligent like ourselves. We don't know how long those civilizations actually manage to last for, how many of them become technologically developed like ourselves and we can actually do things like this listen out into space it's very very recent for us only the last hundred years that we've been able to start doing this so there are so many unknowns that it's completely impossible to put a number on how likely it is but i'm optimistic it's time for this week's dangerous down where we look at some of the most deadly mean and cruel creatures from the universe and from history this week it's all about one dangerous animal which is pretty much a deadly version of a pizza topping have you ever had an anchovy on your pizza they're small salty fish maybe you've even had them in a salad a little bit healthier now anchovies these fish of the past their ancestors were way more dangerous today they're tiny little tiddlers but fossils found 40 million years ago showed the fish to be bigger they had sharp dagger fangs across their jaw with one single saber tooth on the top jaw 
which could dig right down into anything they were chomping. Now, they were fairly big, sleek and slender creatures slicing through the water. Experts have said they were pretty crazy, kind of all over the place. They've compared them to a T-Rex of the water. Menacing, unpredictable, no one knows what they were going to do and they were terrifying to look at. So it's strange that these beasts have over millions of years evolved into the teeny tiny fish that you might have to salt up a pizza. And it's the anchovies ancestors that's making its way onto our dangerous stand list. It's time to catch up with one of our mates, Karina, now. What you might not know about Karina, she has a superhero alter ego called K-Mystery. And together, they're two in one and they love their science. Through the series, we've been learning all about climate change and the climate crisis and how chemists can use chemicals to make a difference. In this one, the last episode of the series, Karina finds out how you and her can make a difference too. Chemistry. Chemistry and climate. So, the climate might be changing, but are you? We all have a part to play in the fight against global warming and every little really does help. I sometimes feel like it's just too hard to make a difference. There's just so much to do. Hi, Karina. That's 100% rubbish. What are we trying to reduce? I know, rubbish. But it just seems like the problems are so big that nothing will help. Well, there's plenty we can all do. Come on, I'll show you. We can start by reducing the amount of energy you're using right now. Whenever you're not using the TV computer or video game console, switch them off. Don't just leave them on standby. How easy was that? If we all unplugged our mobile phone and tablet chargers after using them, we could close a big power station. Imagine how much carbon that would prevent going into the atmosphere. Switching lights off when no one is in a room is another easy way to reduce the amount of energy used. Another way to reduce the amount of energy we use is to walk or cycle short distances instead of driving or taking a bus. This will reduce the amount of fuel we use and less fossil fuels means fewer emissions. It would also help the air be cleaner, not just from gases, but particles that tyres and brakes give out. You'll also get fitter. And I guess we should use local shops too, rather than driving to large out-of-town supermarkets and shopping centres. And it might be quicker. Now you're getting it. Another super easy-peasy thing to do is to reuse. From using a reusable bag when shopping, to a refillable water bottle when out and about and at school. And that means less plastic waste. And you can use plastic tubs to store things in in your fridge instead of single-use bags. You can even get reusable drinking straws. There are so many simple ways to stop adding waste to landfill and reducing the need to make new things. And then I guess there's recycling. We already do that at home. That's brilliant! We might not realise the impact that our home recycling has. If everyone in the UK recycled just one toothpaste box, it would save enough energy to run a fridge in over 2,000 homes for a year. 
That's awesome. And you can recycle plenty of other things, like your old mobile phones and tablets. They contain rare elements that can be reused to create other gadgets. And as many of these elements are in danger of running out, it will help preserve supply. So we can reduce, reuse, recycle, and we can repair things too, right? Absolutely. From clothing to toys to furniture, we sometimes think it's easier to just buy new. But a little bit of time spent repairing will make a lot of difference. We would need fewer factories to produce goods. We would use less energy and create less pollution in the air and less waste in landfill or that has to be burned. And there's something else you can do: become a chemistry climate change superhero yourself. Think about the jobs you could do when you're grown up and where they might take you. From environmental chemists who study how chemicals move through the environment to atmospheric chemists who research, well, our atmosphere. I could ride the ocean waves, checking up on the fish, or build an amazing new hydrogen-powered car, or have my own vertical farm growing. Um, I don't know, sustainable strawberries. Sounds delicious. And we're back. Well, thanks for the insight, chemistry. No problem. Always happy to help with a chemistry challenge. And online, you'll find some great ideas about how to help tackle the challenge of climate change. There's also a fun eco bingo game. Why not check it out? Chemistry, chemistry, and climate, with support from the Royal Society of Chemistry. Find out more and get hands-on with chemistry at funkidslive.com/chemistry. That is it for Karina and Kay Mystery with their chemistry. It's the last one of the series. You can catch up on any that you've missed over at funkidslive.com. We will have two brand new series with some incredible characters that I know you're going to love at the same time next week. And that is it for this week's episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. We've got loads more podcasts that you can enjoy over on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio on that free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!